Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Today, I am here with Axel Sukianto. Axel, welcome to the pod. Uh, great to be here. Excellent, excellent. So Axel is currently the marketing director of UpGuard, responsible for demand generation. So UpGuard is a cybersecurity platform that helps global organizations prevent data breaches, monitors third-party vendors, and improve their security posture. Posture? Yeah. Posture, I like that. It's good. Um, previously, Axel was marketing manager at uh, Harangi, and prior to that, he held roles at Cisco and Dropbox. So lots and lots of experience in B2B SaaS, hence the topic of today's discussion, Axel, around generating high-quality leads in B2B SaaS. Um, so Axel, welcome to the pod. And I think where I'd like to start is um, just your journey. I think when we first met each other, we had mm -hmm. some mutual connections that had nothing to do with marketing. And I, I dug into it and realized that you, um, you like me, were a, a reformed lawyer that had moved into a space you're more, <laughs> pa more passionate about. So maybe just um, for the listeners, I guess we've got um, an audience of in-house marketers and marketers around Australia, some who have kind of come at it through traditional business courses, marketing courses, comms courses, um, but your journey is a little bit different. So just talk to us about that. Yeah, totally. So, uh, like, not too dissimilar to your journey, James. So, I actually went to law school at uh, UNSW here in Sydney, and uh, I actually worked as a as a lawyer for about three years. I worked specifically on um, like venture capital and private equity sort of deals, where I saw businesses um, growing by buying other businesses, mergers and acquisition. I did that for about three years, and I realized that I wanted to be on the other side of the boardroom, where uh, instead of advising like legal deals. I wanted to be part of the joy in growing the business. Nice. So I remember, I remember doing that, and I went, okay, I want to be on the other side. Uh, what is, what are the roles that really impact the growth and the revenue of the business? And to me, two things jumped out. One of them was sales, and the one was marketing. Yeah. And at the time like 20 something me and I went, okay, I want to do one. I, I want to be part of the role that really moved the needle and marketing obviously like moved the needle in a, in a, in a more one-to-many sort of motion compared to one-to-one -one in sales. Yeah. Love it. So how did you do it? Like, how did you go, you know, you're, you're in third, fourth year of a, a big evil law firm. How did you kind of, <laughs> how did you convince someone to give you a, give you a go as a marketer? Oh, that's actually an excellent question. So I remember, I remember um, specifically that point in time where I went, this is, I, I, I've had it. Um, I was actually traveling overseas and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't love this. I love more of the um, growing the business. And I went, okay, I'm going to hop on seek and then I'm going to search for a job. And yeah. at that point I realized I did not know what to search for. <laughs> so luckily for me, uh, one of my really good friends now, she's also um, a reformed lawyer. She um, just made the jump and Dropbox at the time just landed in APAC and opened up a Sydney office yeah. and they were looking for ex-consultants, ex-lawyers, just really smart people to sort of head up their um, SMB sales and marketing team. So I, I, I got an in through there applied and spoke to a number of them um, in the Sydney office and I, I, I got the job. Love it. That's so cool. Um, the last question about your, you know, your previous life, I get mm -hmm. asked this all the time and I generally say I don't think at all, but what, how has your legal career helped your marketing career? Oh, Im immensely. I think um, in terms of uh, the legal career, it's the problem solving aspect that I really thought um, um, helps me here because 
it, it's one of those things where at university you do all these group assignments you you learn all these things that you may not necessarily use in your practical like professional lives but it's the problem solving aspect of it that really helps uh, you baseline against oh how do you deal with these sort of problems deals with sort of projects i think that's really it it's that critical thinking but ultimately i think um any legal role has a lot of drafting and a lot of writing yeah like the baseline of to me the baseline of a good uh marketer is really strong ability to write copywriting yeah. conversion writing long form writing yeah. so that that eye to detail is, is really important so i think it's helped me um start my marketing career maybe it has helped me more than i give it credit that's good that's some good <laughs> insights there um so in terms of upguard if you could just talk i guess about the organization i kind of gave that brief introduction but what the what the business does and then what your role within it is yeah, totally. I think you, you you gave a you gave an excellent overview of Upguard. So Upguard is a is a B two B SaaS platform. We're specifically in cybersecurity. So we use a number of different uh, tools to help our customers improve their security posture. And I know you you joked a little bit, but um, these days um, cybersecurity is top of mind for a lot of people and mostly a lot of um, C levels. And we're seeing data breaches happen honestly daily. And UpGuard is one of those platforms that um, helps using our proprietary um, engines and um, our folks who do what we call data leak detection um, to basically proactively identify these security exposures for companies so that they can prevent these data breaches happening and they can improve their security posture. And what, um, we'll get to it later, I think it's interesting on the site, the way you guys deal with pricing in a fairly transparent kind of way. Um, there's obviously ranges as there typically is with SaaS. What, what sort of um, businesses are you typically and organizations are you working with? Like how small and how big? Yeah. So uh, on, on, on that pricing point, I think we, we truly believe like a transparent pricing is, is really important for people as they assess you, as they, as they become more aware of your product and solution, that's really important. But, but we cater across companies of different sizes. So we have those really large enterprises. Some of our, some of our customers are listed on our website to like the really small shops where they have like one or two um, security people who have, who are trying to improve their security posture, identify that they're in a really important um, area. And so I guess like the 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 theme of today is demand gen in B2B SaaS, right? And I'm conscious that, you know, there's going to be competitors to upguard that I don't want to listen to the pod and get insights <laughs> that they shouldn't. But so I guess more broadly across all of your experience in B2B SaaS, like what is what works? Like is it as simple as just running Google ad campaigns, bottom of the funnel lead gen? Um, or is it a, a more nuanced nuanced proposition to kind of truly run high quality B2B demand gen these days? Yep. So I think um, there's this um, demand gen, I think it's been a term for, for, for a long time, but I feel like either starting from last year or this year, we're, we're starting to see some practitioners in the market sort of split it into two separate um, realms, so to speak. There's the demand creation aspect and the demand capture of it. And in terms of um, the demand creation, like that's that's the hard one, and the demand capture is probably the easier one in a sense. So I'll talk about a little bit of both. That's that's the philosophy that I try to go by um, in terms of what we do in terms of demand gen in sort of any company. The demand the demand capture. I'll start with there. Um, that's the stuff that look the demand is there. You know that there's a buyer who is interested in it. Your job is to capture it. And how do you do that, right? So I think Google Ads is one where you, you know that, um, so James, you're searching for Nike shoes and then you know that you want these Nike shoes. So you search Nike shoes and the Google ad shows up and it serves you um, the correct place. You, you create the right path for them to buy this, right? But um, so Google Ads is one, creating a website, 
is also one. If you if they know your brand name, they know what you're buying for. You want to capture the demand um, and convert them into a paying customer. But the really hard part for I think any B two B SaaS company, I think, is the demand creation aspect of it. Mm-hmm. How do you move people down the funnel along um, to from them not wanting to know what not not knowing they have a problem to knowing they have a problem, but knowing about your solution? You know, create that demand for yourselves, and that's really I think what what really distinguishes um, really strong demand gen professionals versus just the people like okay, I'm working for a for a well known. Um, uh, ASX 200 company that people know who I am and all I need to do is capture the demand and like they can just run ads and like run a, run a website and sort of let that run but really the hard part is that creation of it if, you, if you're starting a company James you'd know and how do you create that demand of people wanting to come to you that's the hard part of it and when you think of demand capture um, you including non-branded Google ads in that kind of space where people have already identified um, maybe they haven't got so far down the funnel. They're looking at brands and comparisons, but they've identified they've got a problem. Security software, whatever it might be, would be sitting in that kind of second bucket. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I think uh, it's, it's these people. I think um, are in that. I think problem problem aware or solution aware that they yeah. that they that they kind of know that they have a problem. They're searching for it, and that's the that's part of like that sort of capture. You need to be able to have mechanisms to capture that because you'd rather them to go to your. Um, your site versus your competitor's website potentially yeah. and that's that's that capture um, element of it yeah and with the kind of distinction of creation versus capture um, presume you're not talking just about digital there right you're talking about all activities that you can do to reach you know a target market oh totally yeah. um so uh, the 2022 like we've gone through different waves of covid and we're seeing event marketing come back yeah right? and and that's just one place for you to create that sort of demand people walk through they don't know what they want they don't know what they want they walk through the conference hall and they see your brand and they talk to you and you're creating that demand by just talking to them right and and these days everything is digital but there's still these elements of of in-person connections that people still enjoy yeah that's it i think we've always at rocket we're purely a digital agency right but not at all do we suggest that digital is the solution for all businesses and problems and um, sometimes it'll play a large role in helping a business achieve what they need from marketing and often it'll play a, a supporting role and sometimes it plays a very minor role. Um, generally, digital is playing an increasingly important role. Oh, uh, totally. Look at the last 10, 15 totally. years. But um, yeah, particularly in B2B, complex B2B, um, particularly if you're talking North America, often those trade shows and events are a really key, key part of the mix, right? Oh, exactly, and they both create that demand, but also accelerate that sort of that sort of demand where they uh, people people go to it because they don't know um, what they want. They go to it and they see it and they go, okay, well that's that's something that is that is of interest, and maybe I'll I'll put it in my budget next year. Yeah. Or even they they know they're in the market. They know they're in the market for like two different solutions, and they use this opportunity to convince their boss, who's the decision maker, I'm like, hey. These are the two solutions that go to both their booths and then we just have a ch- talk to them yeah. and see which one can convince um, convince us that they're the best solution for our problem. How do you, um, with this framework around demand creation and demand capture, um, I was at Inbound just before COVID, so I guess that was 2019 and mm-hmm. it was LinkedIn's most senior B2B marketer and she, um, she, was, she gave a really awesome presentation and kind of her rule of thumb was that 55% of marketing activity in the B2B space should go on brand building activity, awareness type activity, and then the remainder going on, you know, things that we probably think are more typically as lead gen, demand gen 
Google Ads, bottom of the funnel, landing pages, etc. Um, with that demand creation type framework, you, would elements of brand building sit within that? Oh, um, totally. I yeah. think the way I think about it is um, brand and marketing are what two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, it, it's really hard to run successful demand gen without a strong brand or building a brand. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I, I see um, that brand is more of a baseline uh, that that every company has that has that brand there's a reason why um you start a, you start a business james and you have a logo and you have a very clear at least color scheme and 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 that that the second time people see it and they go that yep that's that's the color of like rocket and they know what that is yeah. so uh, that's the way i see it it's like, like table stakes baseline and you have demand gen activities sort of above it or below it depending yeah. on how you how you view the funnel yeah. and it's critical for any business and particularly particularly for me i think it's it's the key to the long-term success yeah that's it and it's so funny like we um we've come like where we are as a business is very much we've, we've come out of the performance space. So it has been doing SEO and Google ads for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to kind of look down our nose a little bit at um, competitors and um, budgets that were being, were kind of going to these and some, sometimes they were above the line, but whether they were digital or, or not um, awareness building and impressions and reach and all these metrics, which we used to say, well, they're just hiding, they're hiding behind, you know, actually giving giving you your real performance, um, but that's just flipped on its head, right? Which is it's just in a particularly a space like yours where it's a reasonably high ticket value, right? There's you just don't click on an ad, fill out a form, and then buy the product, right? Like it's and I don't know, I'm kind of keen to talk about and get your perspective on attribution, but um, but the reality is is that to buy a, a six figure piece of software, you're going through dozens of touch points generally multiple stakeholders maybe panels within organizations um and so it's kind of this incredible you're probably talking hundreds if not thousands of touch points with a brand like upguard before signing off on the on the product right correct uh, i think that's uh that touches on the difference of uh the b2b versus b2c i would say yeah where you say it's it's just a different uh buying experience um, yeah. and that multiple touch points like um, on your point on attribution, there is no one uh, often often in B2B, there's no one one real, let's say like, oh, this this, this one piece of landing page is what really converted them and we should yeah. attribute 100% to it. You can make that assumption, but whether that's correct or not, that's a separate discussion. Yeah, that's it. And we do see that um, our clients in B2B SaaS that get the best results are the ones that are running um, consistent brand slash awareness campaigns, pumping out great content, Putting the putting the, the market ahead of themselves, investing in things that are kind of typically always on long term, and probably aren't measuring them with the same um, the same view as they are measuring cost per lead and cost per sale and those types of metrics. It is about reach and impression and other metrics like that. Is that kind of is that your experience across, without speaking specifically to Upgard, but across Dropbox and the different products you've worked with? A hundred percent. I I can't even I can't even. Um advocate that that point further the way the way i think it's that people should see it is brand building and awareness activities is critical um for the b2b business like put aside the mark your marketing hat for a moment yeah. it's important for the b2b business like a strong brand is what um what drives uh what's called like cac or cost of customer acquisition down yeah. 
right? Um, there's a reason why if I use the example of a B2C product like Coca-Cola, like you go, you go and you know what you want to buy and you buy Coca-Cola because it's a really strong brand. They don't yeah. really need to run any ads. Like yeah. they don't need, really need to run billboards, but they do because the more you see it, the next time you want to buy a soft drink, that, that is something that sticks to your mind. Otherwise, in my opinion, if without that strong brand, and I think the a testament to the percentages that you saw during your talk um, without a, a really solid brand um, brand sort of thinking or brand awareness sort of plays you'll end up a business that will rely too heavily on paid channels you don't own your brand so you have to keep uh, relying on these pay channels and that's ultimately what creates unsustainable businesses hmm. right you may if you think about it on a short-term, long-term play, like yes, like the like the pay channels may work. Like you put ads on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, Google. Like yes, you'll get some short-term results, but is that is that sort of like the cost that you want to acquire a customer in the long term? And, and in terms of sustainability of businesses, that's really the key. But another point to um, what you said around digital and attribution, I think there is this perception that with attribution, all digital marketers can track where things come from, right? Oh, there's a dollar of revenue coming in and yeah. like um, the C-level person comes to the marketing department and going, okay, well, where did it come from? Came from a landing page. Okay, let's double down on the landing page. But yeah. you go, hang on, well, we've done all these activities or like that that don't cost a lot of money, which which may um, uh, contribute to it. And like, no, 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 we should do more of these Google ads that lead to this landing page yeah. um, because that's what really works. But it's really like short-term versus long-term. It's a death cycle and it's, um. Be curious to pick your brain on advice for listeners to get that kind of buy-in, that stakeholder buy-in, because it is digital was sold and we used to sell it as this, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know that half your marketing budget's wasted. Well, we're digital and we can show you which half's wasted and, 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 and it kind of did work that way, right? And it still does in certain environments. Like if you're talking pretty simple buyer journey, particularly e-com, often it is dollar in, dollar out marketing. Um, I'm yet to see any organization that can really, truly, accurately attribute marketing sales down to the last dollar in a complex <laughs> B2B space because you can't and you never will. And I think the industry has done itself a disservice where there is this, um, I think marketers already know, marketers have kind of gone through the journey where it was can't measure everything. Wow, now we can measure everything to actually... No. <laughs> you, you know, there's, there's some art and science and, some, and data is still crucial and critical and... And, and plays a massive role but if you're trying to use it as the silver bullet you're setting yourself up for failure and um, I think where you're going with that is exactly what we see and um, probably hence why I've got you on the pod because it's short-term thinking it doesn't work it's simplistic um, and I'm curious to um, how do you bring managers and CEOs and MDs and head of sales and head of revenue potentially on, on the journey when they look at it and go well sales targets have been missed last quarter. I've got some money to throw into Google ads for the next quarter. Let's drive some more sales. And it's like, guys, it's a three year buy journey. You, it's not gonna not gonna do anything. So like experience shares there for, for the listeners. Yeah, the, the cheat answer is you just gotta find a CEO who gets it. Yeah. That's the cheat answer, right? Yeah. But but we're not all in that in that luxury, uh, don't have that luxury to find a CEO who always gets it. Um, yeah. so, so, so my thinking around there is there are certain ways um, that you go, uh, to, to prove that your brand is um, is increasing your people are becoming more aware of your brand yeah um still like 
to measure brand is extremely tough. I'm not, I'm not saying here that brand building is really important. Then you can e easily measure how you go from year on year. That's still ext extremely tough. And there are, there are large agencies that run these really like six month process and like to, to measure your brand and you come out with a hundred page deck, right? Um, you don't even need to do that. I think to me, it's what's, what's the North star of a lot of companies. I'm, I've almost exclusively worked in venture backed um, companies. What's a North Star? What do they really care about? Do they care about CBC? Do they care about CPM? Do they care about impressions? Maybe, maybe not, but they always care about revenue. Yeah. And that's the revenue that you go, um, is this is the revenue going up, right? And if the revenue is going up, then that's a proof point that your brand is, uh, people know about who you are and your brand is improving and it's increasing, right? But uh, it's, you need to be able to find managers who will give you that sort of space to go, okay, well, this is a year play. This is a two year play as opposed to, okay, give me a result in one month because mm. you can't build the brand in one month. Yeah. And I think more and more people are understanding where that comes from, um, that, that they need to allow their marketing team or their sales team some space um, because yeah. um, regardless of whether you're a venture backed or not, like, things just don't happen immediately. There's ultimately always pressure to, yeah. to, to have results immediately, yeah. but you have that room to go, okay, well, this is the plan that I'm doing. One thing that I was speaking to someone is on Google Search Console, for example, you can measure um, how many people search for your brand. That's a proxy of going, okay, how many people are searching for a rocket, for example, James, from year on year on Google? That's a proxy of how your brand is building yeah. because people know who you are. Uh, as opposed to commissioning a $2 million contract with an agency to sort out, to figure out your brand. That's one way you go to and sell it to your C-levels and go, yep, our brand is increasing. Yeah. And that's really what we need to focus on, like doing all these um, pieces of content, um, pieces of awareness that really drives it, that doesn't necessarily translate to a deal, to an opportunity or a deal tomorrow. I think that's right. I probably two things there. I was on a call this morning with a client who's um, B2B SaaS, super niche audience, like really small audience within Australia. And for them, there's two surveys that are um, done by third parties each year. Um, so that's the, what marketing success looks like. Um, so in terms of from a digital perspective, we've used some proxies, as you've said, because it it's, it's inexact. Um, we look at Google Trends, we look at um, branded search, and we look at just traffic, which is just in so many cases, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. But in this, for this particular client, it actually makes sense and is far more um, indicative and, and valuable for the client than driving cost per leads and downloads and whatever else when those things actually aren't applicable in, in this instance. But I think the second one is, um, is, is something that marketers, if you're in an organization where they are just, it's unrealistic expectations and um, there's just not an alignment between what role marketing can play to drive revenue and and, um, and help drive sales. It, it It's not ridiculous to say, think about getting out. I had Marcus Sheridan, who was the author of um, uh, They Ask You Answer, um, which is a phenomenal book to read on, on, on the pod um, a few weeks back. And that was kind of his thing. It's like, yeah, you there's certain things you should be doing to try to educate internally and try to bring people along for the, the ride. And I think what you said there about expectation setting, like, don't set yourself up for failure if it's um if it's a new role you're in or if you know you've got a, a planning session. I think don't be afraid to push back and say, well, it's not how it works. And if you can change the perception, then then great. But if you can't, then maybe it's actually time to think about trying to work under a manager um, or a board or a, a C suite that does actually have realistic expectations around marketing. 
yeah, I think life is too short to work for people who don't understand your value. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. And, and these days, um, marketers are in high demand, and, yeah. and everyone knows that like content is king. Um, digital is important. Yeah. There are people who will understand it, and you should um, focus more on sharpening your your skills in the actual execution of it, or actually building the strategy of it, versus um, pulling teeth out in Defend- terms of and constantly your- defending yourself and. There you go. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. Um, in terms, of, I think that's a really good deep dive. And I, my next question was going to be about attribution. I think we kind of answered it nicely. Um, what do you find, what are the types of activity? And I think to, once again, more broadly than your current role, but in your, in your experience working in the space, what are the types of activities that you find generally work well on the demand creation side? And then the types of activities that, that typically work well on the capture side? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off with the capture side. I think the capture side is, is the stuff we have mentioned. Um, you know, Think of it as you're, you're targeting people who are in the market, who you already know want to buy. And in the digital world, Google ads and all these, uh, depending on your industry, uh, the different types of like Facebook ads, Twitter ads, LinkedIn ads, that's yep. like you want to capture that. That's really, really important. Um, one thing that's um, depending on the size of your team, like landing pages, um, like like CRO, like website optimization, is incredibly key. The the experience as a buyer to know that hey, you clicked on this ad and then you search specifically on this particular angle and that's what the landing page serves. You're like, okay, this this is really like um, hyper customized for me, and then that's how they convert really really well. So I think that's that's really important. And in terms of that creation aspect. I think content is king, right? Um, buyers these days, they they educate themselves in a different cycle to they, they did in the 90s or the 2000s. Right? If you want to learn about a particular um, piece of software, you will search for it. I I did that myself like two weeks ago. I, I'm a buyer of marketing tech um, yeah, software course, and, yeah. and, and, and I, get, I get hit up heaps on LinkedIn. So like, hey, do you want to buy this piece of software? But that's not, that's not my buying. Um, uh, my buying ha- um, habits. I will, if I know something, then I will educate myself first because I want to know that when I um, am in the market for something, that is a solution that is a problem that someone else has solved. Is there is there a perfect solution for it? And how does that solution I, get solved by other people? And so I do my own research, and often at times that, that lands to different pieces of content, and and that, and that is a thing you want to target your buyers, especially B two B buyers. Like yeah. the the beauty for marketing leaders, I think, is you are in this position where you have to think about your target audience but the best place to learn is buy software yourself mm. what is that process like when you buy b2b software how, do, how how are the learning like how these things that other companies are doing can improve what your marketing or sales team are doing so i think content is king and i think the other thing i mentioned was around events like marketing is cyclical ultimately like we we had uh, events was was really really on before covid covid hit everyone said events were dead guess where we are now <laughs> like like events are coming back because people will go i want to learn i want to meet my peers and my colleagues event, event, events are back and yeah. and that's really how you create demand like events events are back and that's that's how i see it yeah it's good and i think the content piece is right and it, it probably goes back to the point previously about the buyer journey and um, i do some speaking to ceo groups and often the the um the way to kind of actually explain that the the path to purchase has changed and it is now um, it's digital and we research in our own time when we're ready before we engage and want to speak with a sales rep is to kind of say what do you do in your private life like when you're looking to to travel overseas or buy a car um or in your be in your business capacity when you are looking to engage you know um, on a reasonably significant purchase what do you do 
and it is like well how many you know how many searches are you doing to, to book that overseas trip or to buy that car and um, the Google data around and it's a B2C context but 900 digital touch points to before oh. from when I'm thinking of buying to when I walk into a dealership when yeah. 30, 30 years ago you go into the dealership and the, the sales rep has all the power and the idea then that Google adds one click and you're going to buy you know upguard for whatever the annual licensing is it's just not how it works and so I think trying to put people back into well, what do you do when you're when you're looking to buy can often help yeah um the, the the buying a car point was something i discussed with another fellow marketer maybe two weeks ago like yeah. the, i i still think buying a new car process is completely broken it's completely broken and still broken yeah um, like um ultimately if you think uh, in terms of attribution 100 percent of the attribution goes to the salesperson at the dealership right yeah. and, and that's how it works I'm like oh no i closed this really good deal i sold them all these um all, um, all these upgrades but really like there's all these things that uh, don't show up in that buyer's journey I mean, like okay i, I research on um the carsguide.com.au yeah. i um i did a test drive at a completely different dealership i talked yeah. to my friends who have three different uh, three yeah. of the same car and all these things don't really show up it's like yep all that salesperson gets all gets all the yeah gets it's all madness. the um attribution and it's just the price point right i'm going into it's a, it's by that by, by that point it's a widget and it's a widget i'm just trying to get for the cheapest price possible right yeah and you, and actually like i can my, my point is like buying a car a process is broken yeah. it's like if um i don't know if people on the pod know like how to process to buy a tesla is yeah. it is like sometimes as a um as a person who knows what they want you just want to buy it don't yeah. introduce friction by yeah. having a salesperson in the middle like tesla lets you buy it and lets yeah. you put a deposit down and like you'll get it in three to six months time and that's it and that's the power of brand and marketing right where all of that and you know it's a different different kettle of fish but it is it's showing that you don't you know there, and that's also mirroring where customers are at right which is you don't want to go in and be sold up the river and you don't want to be upsold and whatever else put a fair price on it we already know what it is and i think there's other cars now being bought in a similar fashion, right? Where you can now buy them, buy them online. And um, it feels that that's a trend which is moving. Um, obviously, e-com has, you know, transformed, um, has, has picked up since since COVID. But I think we're finding that, um, it's something I talked to Marcus about, which is that we're seeing that more and more of buyer journeys are now happening digitally, are happening online, and in much more complex and weird spaces than we once would have ever, ever thought of possible, right? Agreed. Uh, there's, there's places like like word of mouth. I think is is, is a channel that you can't measure necessarily digitally. Yeah. Like, uh, if, you, if you recommended me to buy a, this particular brand of whatever, and I go, okay, well that's that's great, then I buy it. Then on yeah. on the marketers end, it looks like oh, I, I did a direct traffic search we'll, and we'll, then I converted immediately. We'll take but... we'll take that as SEO, Axel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a kind of um, just your observations, because you've worked not just in Australia, right? I think like there's definitely uh, listeners to the pod who I know are in B2B SaaS that are running campaigns just in Australia, but also those that are running them abroad. Like any observations around things that are different here to other key markets, probably thinking um, into Asia and then into the North America? Yeah, um, the way, so, so I've worked in, um, I've worked in Asia before and I work in Australia and now work in Australia for a, for a global company. So, so we, so we look at different markets. Um, the way I see it is culturally, um, that's the, that's the way you need to think about it. Like, um, I've worked in Asia and in Asia, there's a much more, there's a bigger focus on like in-person 
bigger focus on calling um on, on calling and like on whatsapp or being on on the different like instant messaging it's a little bit less to a lesser extent i think australia is moving towards that but i remember like part of a sales process um uh in asia is they they have conversation on whatsapp because or because that's just that's just how it is that's just how they do business okay. and i remember going on the C on my on our crm and going okay well what where's this deal at and they're like oh it's 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 late stages i'm like well the CRM just says like you you created this um, opportunity, but nothing's happened. Like oh yeah, yeah, it's on WhatsApp, and and it's one of those things where it's just a different different culturally, yeah. and and like and that's not something that um, in Australia where particularly custom for a B two B transaction to be over WhatsApp, um, but that's that's how they buy in Asia, and you need to adjust to how they buy, um, uh, to how they buy in the different markets you're in. I think that's really ultimately the difference. Just. Um, if if you go into a new market, just just speak to your customers and understand their buyer's journey because yeah. it's just it could be completely different. And then do you find North America are kind of similar-ish, probably without um, maybe this is wrong, but the idea that trade shows might play a slightly larger role in in America than they do in other parts of the world, or yeah, so. I, I, Treasures, treasures in America are are massive. Like if you've been to one of those in like Las Vegas, it is it is it is crazy to like a, a level that I think Australia will never get to. Yeah. Um. But there's, I, I've spoken to some of our buyers across my different um across my different time, and a, a lot of the time, part of their buying process involves sending some of their um team or some of their juniors to these treasures to do that reconnaissance to go what are the ones um uh, what are the what are the uh, products that show up or on on these trade shows? And that's part of their um, proposal building. And that's why it's important because if you're suddenly, if you're not there, suddenly they're they're um, they're trying to close on which product or service to buy, and they go, okay, well we didn't consider you because uh, were you at this particular event? And he's like, no, we weren't. We're 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 still on digitally and everything. Oh well, if you're not on there, well our 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 boss really wants us mm. to be there because that's that's their measure of like okay have you made it are you big enough to survive over the next few years because you've spent money at a trade show sometimes you just got to pay to play and and that's just how that's how the market we see in the US is yeah yeah interesting and i guess this is a probably a difficult one to answer but what are the kind of um what's the direction of of b2b saas in the next 10 years like where do you see it going particularly as it pertains i guess to digital marketing like what do, what do you see the trends yeah, so, so I think the big one that I'll that I'll mention, I think you touched on this, is um, attribution. I think we used to we, we got to this point that uh, the introduction of the internet and we could always track everything. Oh, we know this person landed on this website and stayed there for two minutes and thirty seconds, and then they clicked on this blue button. Um, I think we'll move to a point that that matters less, and we're. we're I'm I'm very much a revenue marketer at heart, and it's about the revenue, less about the um, bounce rates, less about the time spent on page. What is the rev ultimate revenue? And really, I think we're moving towards a place where that matters less in terms of how long people have been on a website, on specific um, pages that they entered from, and ultimately think about the revenue as a whole, um, because. Um, it matters less around where they came in. It just matters more around did the did the revenue increase because there's always I mentioned to you about uh, word of mouth and and word of mouth you can't track it. But hmm. if you have a really strong word of mouth business, you want to nurture that word of mouth business. Hmm. Do you care if you can track it or not? Probably not because if you know that you can track it and um, sorry, pro you can know that you can grow the business through word of mouth regardless of whether you can track it, you will invest in it. Mm. So I think we're going to move more towards a focus on revenue rather than like a specific number of metrics to measure. I think that's really where, where we're going. With. And how do you connect the dots on that? Because obviously, I think we both agree that, you know, you, you can't attribution 
um, as I think a lot of us have thought it would get to, is fanciful. But what do you do as a marketer when you're, you're sitting in that board meeting or sitting there with the, the MD saying, well, what, what does marketing look like for the next year based on the last year? And if how do you try to connect revenue and sales and all those things which make sense? Because the best marketers I know, the ones that do, they elevate the conversation. They are talking money. They're talking um, how do you drive top line revenue across the business. But how do you try to connect revenue to, to, to marketing activities that kind of that, that treads the balance in the right way? Mm-hmm. We talked about brand. Uh, I, I think brand is, is a good initial introduction there because your goal as a marketer, um, at least the way I see it, is you're the brand custodian, right? You're, you're the ones that make sure that everyone uses the exact same brand colors or by the brand guidelines, but you're the, the ones trying to grow um, that brand awareness for your company. So to link that, in my opinion, is to go, okay, these are, these are the set of activities that, um, that we are prioritizing. It is very important for, for you as marketers to know that there are 20 million things that you can do, but be thoughtful in your presentation to your board or to your leadership. And like, these are the five things we'll do over the course of the next six months and present them the reasons why you're doing it. You to go, like historically, word of mouth has been really strong, so that's why we're doing it. Or historically, this particular uh, segment, um, we've done really well in, so we're gonna double down on it, right? And from there, then you go, these are the activities, and this is our revenue goal, and that's how we'll hit it. It doesn't, you don't necessarily need to measure from point A, it goes to point B, and these are the seven landing pages that it went through, but have some thought around why you're choosing those sort of activities and what the end goal is. like. In the in-between is what I think we get tripped on as marketers to think yeah. about attribution. The in-between kind of doesn't matter. If, yeah. if you have a really strong brand and you're as a business, you keep hitting your goals. I highly doubt any sort of C-level is going to ask you, oh, well, how did you really get there when they hit 150% of the revenue? Yeah. They just want to know what did you do really well and can we do more of it? Yeah. What, think, do you, what more resources do you need? No, that's a second good trait of a marketer, isn't it? That you're right. That you, we have almost infinite choice as to the different places we can play and, and how deep we can go in those places. And just this temptation to to tick tactics, right? And just tick these boxes and do all these shiny things as opposed to just focusing and going deep at the things that actually matter. And one the other thing is there is never a silver bullet. Yeah. There's never, if, you're, if anyone asks you in your company, hey, what's the one thing we can, like, how, how do we, how do you make this um, really successful? What's the one thing you can do? And like, there's never one thing, unfortunately, yeah. in a digital world where you're presented with so many different channels. Yeah. Sorry to say, there's, there's no silver bullet. <laughs> okay. So that, this leads me to my last question, which I ask of, um, of everyone. What's the best piece of advice you can give to someone that wants your role? I think you mentioned it a little bit in the last question or last two questions you asked. Think in terms of revenue. Stop thinking in terms of the the vanity metric is what I'd call it around the hey how many people's visited our uh, visited our LinkedIn page or what's your how do you push on CVC and like those are important as a marketer. But if you want to elevate yourself to to be a business partner to your C level to your counterparts in revenue, think of it in terms of revenue. I think yeah. that's that's really where we're headed toward and that's how you really like get the attention of the important people in the business yeah it's good it's a good answer um i, I lied there's actually one last question um <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can we find you and where can we find upguard yep you can find us on um you can find me on linkedin um yeah. i'm on linkedin um I'm pretty actively these days like uh, to engage in the marketing community on linkedin has actually been uh, an accelerant in terms of my education yeah um so you can find me on linkedin um or uh and to find upguard sorry you can find us on our website, upguard.com or on our, on our LinkedIn page. Click, click on the Google ads before you buy. 
<laughs> Attribution. For full disclosure, we do we do work together. Um, and I was actually going to drop this in, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Your LinkedIn is awesome. So I think in terms of if you want to connect with Axel, just to kind of just further the conversation, I think your content that you pump out is actually really thought provoking and good. Um, so I think good from a, a perspective of learning how to do good B two B marketing and what those trends are. But I think also if you're keen to kind of emulate someone's own personal branding, I think you do a good job of kind of positioning yourself as a as a leading marketer in, in, in Australia, which is which is great. So Axel, Thank thanks for coming on the pod. It's been fun. I've learned some stuff. Thanks, James. Cool, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.